You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name, Milwaukee Bucks reporter at ESPN Milwaukee. Also, the Milwaukee Bucks reporter at ESPN McFarland, which is just a, a suburb of uh, Madison. I, or I would I would imagine people would call it a suburb of Madison, uh, but nice little small town. Shout out to the ESPN McFarland affiliate. I have never been there. Um, you know, maybe I'll get there someday. Who knows? I don't really know. Um, but... Joining me today, as he always does, is the founder of BrewHoop.com and my good friend, Frank Madden. Frank, how you doing? Good. We saw we saw some basketballs being dribbled and shot and NBA players running around on a court on Saturday, uh, Eric. And <laughs> you got to see it in person. I got to see it on a, on my computer. But um, either way, it's the, the first baby step towards uh, real NBA basketball. Yes, we are getting closer and closer to basketball. Um, I think, what did we say on Friday? That it's basketball-ish, kind mm-hmm. of, what, yeah. what, we, what we were going to see on Saturday. And basketball adjacent. I think that held up. Yeah. <laughs> yes, basketball adjacent. I would say that that definitely was kind of what we saw. Um, it, it sort of looked like basketball, also sort of didn't. But you... Uh, being being the you that you are, uh, decided to keep some stats, um, which uh, that I gotta say I've never been more proud and more ashamed to have you as the podcast partner that I've chosen. Um, so uh, I mean, looking at the numbers, Thon Maker, Christian Wood, killing it, both with double doubles. 26 in 10 for Thon, 24 in 10 for Christian Wood, just crushing the game. Uh, but uh, I guess just uh, let's go. I guess in that game, for those of you that didn't see it, no Giannis um, from all indications that we've been given, um, nothing serious, uh, just. You know, being held out for it sounded like something smaller. Uh, Mike Brunholzer, when press didn't give, uh, well, one they didn't have to fill out an injury report, so there was no DNP with a description of the injury or uh, anything like that. So they didn't have to, um, but it sounds like it wasn't something they were overly concerned about. And if it is, it isn't something that they decided to actually uh, describe. So no Giannis, but he did do all the drills and uh, everything beforehand. So I don't think anything too crazy there. Um, And I've got no indication from any other parties that it's anything too serious. So no Giannis, which I got to say, kind of a bummer for for anyone thinking that they were going to get to see uh, Bucks basketball adjacent. Yeah. And we had obviously different experiences because I was, you know, uh, however far away I was. Um, Actually, I don't know. Is Texas? Am I like a? Th- I think I'm like a thousand miles and change from Milwaukee. Yeah. So, but you were you were in the new arena at Pfizer Forum, um, 
I, I will I will say this. It was a little frustrating because um, we found out Giannis wasn't going to play, but then he was in the um, the warm ups, mm-hmm. the little drills they did before, beforehand. And I gotta say, I mean, you know, this is like, uh, you know, this is this is like nitpicking, perhaps. Um, but it was it was basically useless the way they showed it on on the uh, uh, feed on bucks.com slash live. Look, I'm appreciative that this is screamed, right? Like, you know, <laughs> it doesn't have to happen. Yes. Um, but it was like crazy because they were literally just like jumping around between players, like close crop little like like shots you would show like during like a warm up. But like you couldn't see anything that was going on. You could like it was like, hey, just just show us like there's like a million things happening. Like if ever you should just show us like the half court shot of just pick a hoop, <laughs> that would be great. Like I, there was one point where it's like, oh, I saw Giannis for a split second, and then they immediately cut away from him before he took a <laughs> shot. It's like, come on, guys, like what 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 are we doing here? And uh, and it was basically an arena feed the whole game. So there was like, you know, the replays often like made you miss the follow-up uh shots on the other end um and they did lots of like baseline camera angles which is always like harder to see what's going on versus just the sideline cam it's like really just you know just like trying to be fancier than like really is necessary but all in all um obviously it was great to to see any type of basketball and um it was also amusing i don't know if it was as amusing um in the arena uh during the initial drills um where they were basically just shooting a lot of corner threes. What, what do they call it? Four one four. That was a four one four drill. I think is what they called it. Um, and Mike Budenholzer was on the mic. And I guess when they made all their all the all three shots, they would yell triple. And Mike Budenholzer was like yelling triple. And it was like he he was like the worst hype man in arena <laughs> hype man ever. Um, but shout out to Mike Budenholzer for like hanging onto the microphone and yelling triple over and over again. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of funny. Um, but after that, yeah, it was, uh, it was, you know, nice to see. Um, I, I will say this, I'm curious to see what you're, before we guess, get into like the, the actual, you know, play and what we saw on the court. Um, <laughs> it became very obvious right away that the quote unquote sell sellout was not a quote unquote sellout, um, Indeed. that, that we heard about. Um, and look, I, I, in hindsight, I, we should have known that they weren't going to like open up the, the top levels of the arena because, you know, if you do that, then you have to have, you know, security up there and people and, you know, it's just like more overhead and they probably figured they weren't going to, you know, fill up the entire building. So yes, there were not 17,000 people in the arena and it seemed like even the lower bowl was, you know, not like jam jam packed, but um, I don't know. What was your, like, where were you sitting during the the scrimmage? What was your like impression? What was it like in the building? Cause I mean, obviously they had a good turnout um, for, you know, a free scrimmage that meant nothing, um, which was cool. Uh, but what was the, what was the kind of mood like inside the arena? Cause I, I mean, you've gone to these before, I assume the last yeah. few years, right? Um, yeah. What was it like this year versus previous years? Um, I would say it's pretty lively. And I know this was something that Matt Velasquez had tweeted out and some of the players had commented on, but um, we were, Matt and I were at a table um, right alongside the floor, typically where like a, a TV crew would be. But obviously, since there's no TV crews there, uh, they had Matt and I down there. So, um I will say like the noise that you make in your seat. Uh, I, I don't know how uh, Peter Fagan and, and the, and Mike Facitelli managed to do this, but it does really feel like all of the noise like flows to the court. 
um, which I'm sure they did find some way acoustically to make sure that that's how it happened. But it, it does like that sounds crazy to say, but like it did it did truly feel even louder on the floor than it was like other places. Um, and like we didn't really realize it until like after you know we went out and kind of were hanging out on the floor and like talking to players and stuff. So like it was, I don't know. It was just kind of strange to think that that actually worked out that way. Um, but overall I would say it was lively and yes, it was not uh, a sellout, but you know, if you have, I don't even know how many season ticket holders they have 10,000 or whatever it is. Um, if you have a whole bunch of season ticket holders and you give them tickets for free, well um, like if the, cause I, I know season ticket holders just had seats put into their app. So like if you're a season ticket holder, you just got one in your app. So that was how you, you know, sell out 17,500. And I know I had friends that saw that, you know, it was a possibility and thought, oh, that might be a fun thing to do on Saturday. And then, you know, life happens and you don't end up going and you didn't pay anything for it. You just claimed a ticket online. So, um, yes, the, the 17,500 was not 17,500, um, but I still thought pretty lively atmosphere. And uh, I mean, I think as far as getting to see the Billy and stuff, like, you know, seeing basketball type activities while seeing the arena for free seems like a pretty good way to go. So hopefully a bunch of you guys got, uh, got a chance to go out there and check it out. Yeah, and, um, you know, always a nice little tip off to the season. Um, so as far as uh, what we saw on the court, I mean, obviously we start with just the disclaimer of, you know, this is a... a I mean, this isn't even and, a preseason game. Like, no, it's... I mean, I, I don't even know if you'd call it a full tilt practice at this point. Um, no. But uh, we did get to see four quarters of 10 minutes each. Previous, I think I know last year, they Jason Kidd only ended up going through through three quarters. Um, so I guess they weren't really quarters. Um, this year we did see four quarters. Uh, and yes, I watched it live on Saturday. Uh, and then this morning, my daughter got up a little early and um, she's at the point where she can kind of like amuse herself um, reasonably well. So this morning I just rewatched and I just took stats because <laughs> I hadn't seen any stats and I was curious, like, you know, what did people do? And I figured if we were going to talk about it, it'd be helpful to have, you know, yeah. like a little bootleg homemade box score. Um, so I, I did <laughs> just track a, a little bootleg box score, which is kind of hard. Cause like there were definitely moments where, you know, like I said, there's like a replay and it, you don't then see what happens on the other end and yeah. you, they call out if a guy scores, but if a guy misses, um, you know, I, I, I miss some stuff. So there were probably some missed shots. I didn't see, um, there were probably some assists I didn't see, but, um, you know, so, so bear that in mind when you look at my, my little hobo box score uh, (laughs) that I posted on Twitter this morning. Other thing. Um, why did we, why did, why did, why did, why did, now, why did we hear it called a green and cream scrimmage? Yes. They were neither green nor cream. Matt and I got there. We're like, they're they're announcing the cream team, and all of a sudden, someone comes out in black, and we're like, okay, you know, maybe that's a jersey over the top of the jersey, or maybe I don't really know what's going on here. And then the green came out, and they're in white, and then like they kept up the facade. Um, the the Bucks PA announcer was still 
saying like for the green team and it's like no one's wearing green out here stop doing that like <laughs> you're saying that but i don't believe you because there's a team in black jerseys and a team in white jerseys like what what are we doing here yeah so basically the whole thing was a lie um from the start i guess is the is the per se way um so i i guess like brought before we get into like maybe some of the like who who played well i mean you mentioned Christian Wood and Thonmaker kind of had maybe the two big statistical nights uh, of anybody. But um, in terms of like just broad observations, um, you know, I would say the offense looked ahead of the defense, um, which isn't surprising given like if you're kind of going 75%, um, it's probably going to be the offense that's going to benefit most from that. Um, There was, let's just say, not a lot of high intensity challenges uh, at the rim. Um, you know, there were no hard fouls. Uh, there were some fouls for sure, but not a lot of hard fouls around the basket. So, um, I would say, you know, just the sort of like nature of a scrimmage like this is, is tending going to tend It's like, you know, like an exhibition, you know, like the, there's a reason the all-star, you know, the all-star game besides the fact that you have obviously the best offensive players in the world. Um, you know, they tend to be high scoring affairs and this game was, was similarly. Good. So, um, 62% true shooting, uh, by the teams combined, um, they took a ton of threes in this game, which obviously is something we like to hear. Um, I think they ended up taking like 46% of total shots in this game were three pointers. They were 53 of 81 on two pointers, 24 of 69 on three pointers. That's about 35% on three, 65% on two. So that kind of reflects it, right? Like they were, they didn't shoot great from three, which isn't surprising for an early season game, um, where a lot of guys were just bombing shots, uh, from deep, um, including a lot of the big guys shooting a lot of threes, although they actually shot it better than the wings. Um, and then the fact that the two-point percentage was so high probably speaks to, you know, the lack of full tilt intensity defensively. And, you know, just I would say as well, like, um, you know, we were talking about beforehand, like it'll be interesting to see how this team kind of like performs, um, you know, defensive obviously is where I think we'd agree like, the biggest opportunity is, even though there, I think there's definitely an opportunity to get better offensively. Um, defensively, like I, I, I can't act like I saw anything here on Saturday that, you know, makes me think the Bucks have figured anything out, particularly again, like I don't obviously think they were going all out and, you know, like pick and roll wise, like, I mean, they weren't doing anything super aggressive. Uh, guys were getting kind of caught. I think Thunmaker had like three pick and roll finishes, which is probably, and I, I'm, I'm not even joking. That might be as many as he had all of the last two seasons combined. So that sort of speaks to, um, you know, maybe the, the lack of high intensity defense. So, um, so I think those are kind of a couple of broad things, you know, I think there was a, just a lot of emphasis obviously on getting up three point shots quickly, um, which is something, you know, that I think we all expect and which has been talked about um, all the big guys shot threes. And I think all the sort of four or five guys, made threes, including Tyler Zeller and John Henson might each hit one three as well. Um, and overall I'd say, yeah, I'd say some of the more impressive performers were, you know, as you mentioned, Christian Wood and, and Maker, um, especially offensively, um, you know, kind of more of a mixed bag uh, in terms of a lot of the other guys. Malcolm Brogdon, I think actually did a, a very nice job doing a lot of the offensive facilitation um, at the point throughout much of the game. Um, but yeah, broadly it was it was kind of an issue. It just felt like there was, you know, I mean, and again, like I, I'm has I don't want to like reach out to like, oh, this offense is going to be so amazing this year. Oh, you know, be all breathless about that. But yeah, I mean, it seems like they run. It seems like there is more movement in this version of the Bucks offense. It seems like you've got we saw a lot of like dribble handoffs, a lot of 
um, pin downs, a lot of, it seems like a lot of actions where it's not just big setting screens for smalls. It seemed like we saw a lot of like the big guys also like, you know, especially when, cause there were a lot of the, we had a lot of bigs playing before today as well, especially with Giannis out. Um, but it seemed like they were like running off of screens and um, it just seems like uh, I, I just got the impression that offensively, it seems like there's going to be a, a higher requirement for players to do more things and be more well-rounded versus maybe a year ago where, um, you know, we kind of got used to seeing the bigs always doing the same stuff and the smalls always doing the same stuff. And there wasn't maybe as much, kind of versatility required to like do the opposite things. Um, but again, disclaimer, this is off of, you know, one scrimmage that ultimately means nothing. So I don't know. I'll pause there. Um, what, what did you, what kind of struck you so sort of at a high level as far as like style and, and the way that the team I mean, playing? Pat Connaughton had the pick and roll finish as yeah. a role man. <laughs> like that, that, that was the thing that occurred in that game. So uh, I think that kind of helps illustrate kind of what you're getting at there that, you know, these guys are going to do a lot of this stuff. And I know the other day we were talking to Eric Bledsoe and he was like, yeah, um, you know, the one time that we like on the one way that we run things, you know, like I'm the five man and I'm trailing or I'm setting like a screen. And he was like, so it's been kind of like weird getting used to doing that. And like, I, I thought in my head, I was like, oh, okay, maybe you're just like kind of trying to, have Eric Bledsoe wrap his head conceptually around the idea of you can do these different things on the floor more so than him actually doing those things on the floor. Um, And, you know, I I think we saw a bunch of that stuff where, you know, smalls would come by and set a screen for a pick and roll. Uh, Then, you know, sometimes they would roll (laughs) and it, it was just kind of everyone does everything. And I think why that becomes interesting is, Obviously, this entire this entire offseason, I don't know how many times I've said everyone needs to pass, dribble, shoot, handle, defend. Like those are all the things. Like we've heard that again and again. And I mean, I think you saw a lot of that kind of kind of bore out on Saturday where you saw all those guys do all of those things. So um I mean, it'll obviously be different, uh, at least a little bit, once you're playing an actual NBA defense that is giving full effort on the defensive side of the ball. So, like, that will all change, and, you know, we'll learn a little bit more about all of them. Um, But I do think that's a big thing. And then I guess uh, some other things that I've been thinking about is, it, and I guess this stood out to me because, we saw a number of guys get to the rim that maybe I wasn't expecting to get to the rim. Like we saw a bunch of Chris Middleton, like takes to the rim. Uh, and it was like, huh? Okay. And that's not to disparage Chris. Like that's just not typically been a part of his game. Like it's more of a, okay, I'll handle here. I'll get a screen and then I'll, I'll pull up or I'll throw an alley-oop or I'll, I'll get kind of into an in-between shot. Or um, uh, I guess it, it also stood out with Dante DiVincenzo. Like I, I just kept seeing him get to the basket, Malcolm Brogdon as well. And the thing it made me notice was that everyone is going to have a head start. Like that, that is a goal of this offense is that you're going to move enough. You're going to screen enough that, um, and this is something that a couple of players have mentioned as we've talked to them over the last week is that you're one of the things that coach Boonholzer is trying to get across is that you don't have to stand and wait for the ball to get to you, that 
you can run to the ball, catch on the run, and like go get the basketball and have that be kind of a head start for your drive. And and I think we saw that again and again throughout the day is that uh, a lot of the times when you're getting a screen, you're not trying to move to another station. You're trying to kind of curl through the lane. And uh, just the just the number of curl cuts that you saw from all of the guards and wings where they just whip around a screen, cut right down the middle of the lane, and they don't always get the ball, but that is a part of the offense. And I just started to think through it in my head. I'm like, man, I don't remember ever seeing anyone cut down the middle of the lane. Like that just wasn't a cut that was in the old offense because so often you'd have the ball at the elbow and you you rarely – we're going to you know, try to get like a handoff off of that. So that would really be the only way you could cut down the middle of the lane. And since the balls are off the elbow and they're out on the wings, you can kind of cut through the middle of the lane and you don't clog up the lane. It's a hard cut through the middle and then clear out. And it's just kind of a, an entirely different way of spacing and moving. And I just think the shots that people are going to get are going to be very different. And to your other point, like I got very used to knowing – Tony Snell is going to be in the corner. And if Tony Snell isn't in the corner, he's moving up the wing to get a handoff or he's moving up the wing because the ball is driven to the other side and he needs to space for a diagonal pass here. Like, and those were the spots where he was going to be like that. That was, that was pretty much it. And uh, like you said, you could imagine the bigs and the bigs in certain spots and where those spots are on the floor. And I don't think you'd have to uh, dream it up too hard to, uh, fill out all of the heat maps for most of the players on the roster. You, I think you would probably draw it up. And if we would find where they were standing most of the time uh, through second spectrum or whatever, we would probably be pretty accurate. And I just think it's going to be, it's very different this year. And to me, that was, that was the big takeaway and that different could be good and it could be bad, but I think it will be different for everyone and everyone's going to be, everyone on the roster is going to get some different shots. Yeah. I think the only, the, as you were talking there about the, the, the those cut, those cuts down the, down the lane, I think um, the one, the one play I can remember last year, and I don't see, we, we have to have like Dean on to, to keep me honest here, but I think there was like that Hawk set. They would run a fair bit where like Snell would, they got, they would get, they would get Snell like going like straight down oh, the, yeah. the lane yep. to getting like a screen, like Delhi would, like it seemed like every yep. like two or three games, like Dally would get the Snell for like a wide open layup that way. But, but yeah, this was like I think a lot of times more of like a diagonal kind of cut. Um, and yeah, it was it was definitely interesting to see because you know we saw guys like I feel like Connaughton was the guy that continually like was flashing through the through the paint um, for for those types of, of on those types of cuts. Um, and it was interesting because it seemed like a lot of times like the four man was you know heading straight to the corner in uh, on the you know when they were setting up offense and then kind of moving from there and then up to a lot of times and kind of moving towards the middle um, to either you know set a screen take a handoff do something with the ball which um, is interesting because of course you know without Giannis and you know the complexion of of sort of your talent is completely different right yeah. um, you know like starting Ursan at the four rather than Giannis at the four is a completely different skill set. You know, like you just play very differently. Um, So it was kind of interesting, like trying to figure out, like watch what they're doing. I think like, okay, well, okay. Well, what's Giannis going to do? Yeah. Like, are they holding, you know, and, and obviously it's not to say that they're playing exactly like they would if Giannis was in the game, right? Like I'm sure there would be more, 
plays meant to facilitate getting Giannis a touch, you know, potentially as an ISO in an ISO situation or whatever. But for the most part, I mean, I didn't see a lot of like, you know, there was not a lot of like ISO ball. There was a lot of like, you know, the unassisted plays. I mean, I, I had, um, let's see. Um, I had a total of, of 43 assists on, let's see, 77 shots, uh, 77 made shots. So, I mean, that's actually not that high a percentage. It felt like more to be honest, but again, like this is relying on my like homemade <laughs> scorekeeping, which could have been. I'm sure you did a great job, Frank. I'm sure yeah. you did a great job. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, I mean, it felt like there were. It, it felt like there was more of that. Um, it felt like a lot of the unassisted baskets were kind of just like early takes in the shot clock. You know, it didn't feel like there was a lot of. There were a couple like in the second half where Chris Middleton like isoed up and went to work a little bit, but not a whole lot of that. Um, and certainly, you know, interesting look at, at the splits, right? I mean, Chris Middleton was four out of eight on twos, two out of seven on threes, eight out of eight from the foul line, um, 22 points, four boards, two steals, three assists is what I had him for. Um, so, you know, the fact that basically half his shots were threes is obviously, you know, a, a difference from last year <laughs> Very when different, he only yeah. averaged five threes a game. Um and I don't have the number of minutes played per player. I, I draw the line somewhere in terms of what sort of stats has to be. <laughs> so I, I can't, I can't say, really compare the, the, the two. But, um, but yeah, I mean, Middleton was obviously the guy who, you know, had the most like facilitated for him directly. The, you know, the stuff that was the most kind of just like out of sort of just the general scheme. Um, but it was interesting seeing like, you know, screens designed to get Chris the ball. Um, you know, it wasn't like they ran tons of plays to get him like wide open threes, things like that per se. Um, but he still managed to get threes. It seemed like he was, you know, trying to um, be open to shooting, to shooting those threes. Um, and that was sort of the, the, the irony of this. So Brogdon, Bledsoe, Snell, Della Vadova um, combine for over uh, 11 from three. From three. Um, e. So basically like most of your incumbent uh, backcourt rotation didn't hit a three, which whatever, like I'm not, I can't say I'm that concerned. Like, you know, I think Malcolm Brogdon could still hit threes. I mean, Snell, Bledsoe, Delavidor, we kind of know what these guys are at this point. It's not like they're brand new players. Um, but it was kind of interesting how like the guards really struggled. I mean, Dante DiVincenzo was two out of 10 from three, two out of five on twos. He missed a couple of layups. Um, he missed a couple of those threes very badly, but then did hit a couple um, after the game kind of got going a little bit. Um, so it was just sort of interesting to sort of see. And it's like, and you know, you kind of watch it. I mean, like Bledsoe was clearly like not pressing to score. I mean, I think he took, <laughs> no. uh, he only took a few shots. He only took four twos and missed all three of his threes. One of them was like a con job where he was trying to draw a foul from like 30 feet away and didn't get it. Um, but he had eight assists, three steals. So, I mean, Bledsoe was just sort of like in sc- scrimmage mode. Um, Brogdon was kind of four, he was four out of five, nine assists, five boards. Um, he was pretty effective, uh, doing kind of Malcolm Brogdon type stuff. Um, um, but other than that, you know, wasn't, uh, you know, wasn't a too much of a departure, um, in terms of, you know, I think like what you would have expected, I think as far as newcomers, you mentioned Connaughton, um, you know, did some solid things off the ball. Um, three out of five um, from the field on twos, two out of seven on threes. Um, he had a lot of pretty good looks, um, didn't hit too many of them. But um, he's one of those interesting guys who it's like, what was he, like a 35% three-point shooter last year? You know, like he's one of those guys who I don't think you'd be shocked if he shot 32% or 39%. <laughs> and if he does one or the other, it could obviously swing his value a fair bit. Um, and yep. especially given that he's, you know, battling a lot of guys who do similar stuff. 
um, for for minutes at the shooting guard spot. So I think it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. I mean, no Sterling Brown today. He was also dealing with a minor injury. Um, what did you think about the backcourt? Um, and and I'm, I want to talk a little bit about DiVincenzo because obviously we know the, we've seen the least of him Secret just because he's a rookie. Dante. Secret Dante. Uh, of course, like, I think two of his shots came while while replays were going on, so of course I couldn't even see them, which which goes which figures right. Um, but uh, what, what was your kind of any takeaways sort of on on the guards, um, especially the new guys? I mean, Divincenzo and Connaughton are probably the most interesting for our listeners because you know most of us obviously have not seen them, especially not in a box uniform. Um, but any kind of takeaways on on what you saw from those guys? I'm I'm kind of scared to say this, but I thought Dante Divincenzo looked pretty okay. Um, I, I thought his quickness played a little bit more than I thought it would. And again, you know, maybe he is being helped out by the dribble handoffs and the head starts that that guys are getting, and probably some lax defense as well. <laughs> um, but I, I did think, uh, you know, he did kind of seem to fit and kind of have some idea of all the stuff that he was kind of trying to get to in the spots that he was trying to get to. So I came away kind of impressed. Uh, I mean, a two for 10 shooting day isn't impressive. Um, and some of those misses, as you mentioned, were bad, but um, not that you should be afraid of uh, of a scrimmage uh, that doesn't mean anything. But, you know, it, it did feel like he just wasn't really concerned or fearful about taking his shots or getting to his spots or, or doing anything like that. So I, I would say I was a little bit I'm kind of impressed. And again, I will admit that as you can see from my asset rankings, uh, I don't have very high uh, standards uh, for Dante DiVincenzo and what he can be this year, but um, he did kind of, he kind of went over the top of that very uh, low floor that I, I had set. So um, I, I was kind of impressed there. Connaughton, I, I mean, I think Connaughton kind of is who I think he is. Like he's, he's kind of, uh, he's an athletic guy. Uh, he can do a little bit of everything. I don't feel like he's a knockdown shooter, but I do think playing so, or playing just, in Portland for the last couple of years. Like I think he understands kind of a flow offense and uh, I think he understands the spots that you want to get to on the floor when you are running those things. So he does understand getting to the corners. He understands getting to the spots on the wings that you should be. He understands working off of a dribble handoff, some of that stuff. So I think all of the things that he did with Terry Stotts, who, uh, you know, does a number of the same things where, you know, you have those dribble handoff actions, you have those curling actions, um, he does those things in Portland. So Connaughton got to do some of those things. Um, so I, I thought he looked very comfortable. And to me, when you're thinking about new guys or incumbents, I'm very curious about really it's about Bledsoe and Snell. Those are the two guys that, that I'm just very curious about because with Snell, we can start there. I knew where he was going to be and in in my mind, I think it was pretty easy to figure out uh, the value of a 40% three-point shooter uh, kind of anchored in the corner um, or, you know, being able to find a, a three every once in a while off a of Hannah from Giannis. Like all of those things made sense to me. Um, 
especially with the style of play that Tony Snell typically is. Like, I, I don't think of him as doing much off the dribble. I don't think of him as much of a passer. Like, I do think of him as a catch-and-shoot guy and a 3 and D guy, and that's totally fine. And it was very helpful, I think, uh, under Jason Kidd, and it, it worked with Giannis in the role that Giannis used to play. Um, but now I'm curious, you know, how he fits into all of this. Um, because, uh, you know, I could see a world where, where Pat Connaughton plays over him. I think Connaughton's a little bit more comfortable with everything that they're already doing. And I'm not sure how Tony Snell uh, kind of handles the idea of some of those handoffs and stuff like that. So I'm very interested to see what he does going forward. And then with Bledsoe, I think what's interesting to me is one of the first baskets in the game was... I'm trying to think who I think Middleton got out on either a rebound, either a long rebound or a steal and Bledsoe was around the wing and Middleton found him there. Bledsoe finished and it was like, okay, that, that kind of makes sense. But you know, as the game went on, like you're seeing Eric Bledsoe do a lot of different things. Um, I think under Jason Kidd, there was obviously a lot more standing around. Um, and also I think there was more, more chances to ISO. And uh, at the end of last week, we heard Eric Bledsoe talk about how, you know, one of the things he has to get used to is all the ball movement. And at times he feels like they're passing the ball too much and passing up good shots and, uh, you know, kind of finding the balance between doing those things uh, because, you know, he's a pretty talented one-on-one scorer and Chris Middleton's a pretty talented one-on-one scorer. And of course, Giannis is one of the best in the league being able to score just kind of on sheer will. So I'm just, I wonder how Bledsoe fits in to all of this because I think there's a world where uh, Eric Bledsoe loves all of this and all of that movement makes his quickness that much better. He's able to turn the corner on people even easier. Uh, you know, he's maybe able to juice up his assists a little bit. Like there's a world like that world exists where this could all be very good for him, but there's also a world where he gets frustrated by all the ball movement. And uh, you know, we we've talked about his ball stopping ways a, a little bit in the past. Uh, certainly last year we talked about it some, and I wonder if all the ball movement and all the player movement frustrates him more than um, than it excites him and more than than it frees him up. So those are kind of some of the things I'm thinking about when watching the new guys come in and kind of watching some of the the guys that we've already seen play and and try to figure out what Mike Boonholzer is trying to do offensively. Yeah, Bledsoe's an interesting spot because, I mean, he's, you know, an expiring contract. He's, you know, playing for obviously what he hopes is his last um, – well, I'm sure he's hoping not for his last big contract. But, um, but if obviously he plays well, he wants to be positioned going into next summer that, you know, he can get a longer-term contract and, you know, from whoever that might be um, – Obviously, the Bucks, if they if they were the ones to to give it to them, then um, that limits some of their flexibility the, in the summer of 2020. But um, you know, he's playing for a contract, and uh, certainly, you know, given given what he went through in Phoenix, and you'd hope that he's going to be looking to also do kind of the things that that it takes to win games. And um, you know, I don't, I think he's a guy who, if he does not get along with Mike Budenholzer, if you know, it's a situation where he doesn't fit into the way they want to play. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's going to be not good for Eric Bledsoe's market. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's not good for, you know, yeah. just generally his, his time in Milwaukee, but um, you know, he's obviously a guy that um, had a, uh, diff- a, a, let's just say 
curious departure from Phoenix. And um, he's obviously a guy who has not played much in the playoffs. And when he finally did play last year, uh, obviously he, he really struggled and, you know, it really marred what had been a, a pretty solid season for him. So, um, so yeah, Bledsoe is an interesting guy. I, I do think also, I mean, as we've talked about, he's, he's one of the probably him and Giannis are the two obvious guys to benefit um, from, you know, fingers crossed the newfound spacing that this team is going to have with, you know, especially the big guys um, looking to shoot more from, from deep. Um, so I think that's going to be interesting and, um, flipping over to Dante. Yeah. I mean, I, I think we saw him kind of doing, I think what we thought he might kind of be asked to do, which was, you know, relative to some of the other, like relative to like a Snell or, or a Connaughton, um, it did feel like they were putting the ball in his hands more as like that second side, like, you know, pick and roll attack, close out, you know, you know, not like bring the ball up and like create a, create a shot for somebody type role, but, uh, you know, trying to showcase a little bit more of his ball handling and decision-making ability to pass. I think he had like three assists. Um, he, he's got something there, you know, um, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's pronounced enough or useful enough that, um, you know, how, how kind of much that elevates him. But as we talk about the idea of, well, you, you can't just go park in the corner. If you're a wing on this team anymore, you're going to have to be able to, you know, cut, you're going to have to be able to handle it a little bit, make reads, um, you know, make a pick and roll pocket pass from time to time, whatever. Right. Um, that's, you know, you could, you can understand if, if those are the kind of the elevated job requirements, um, why, you know, Mike Budenholzer, and again, maybe it's not immediately, but, um, why that could be a good thing for DiVincenzo versus, you know, somebody like Snell who, you know, doesn't really have much in the way of ball skills is really much more of a spot up guy and a defensive guy. Um, so I think that'll be interesting to watch, you know, certainly in preseason, always interesting to watch how the rookies get used, not just how they play, but just how they get used. Right. Like, because that speaks to how the coaching staff views um, them as well. And, you know, I, this is where I should warn us that Rashad Vaughn had like probably his, the best three game stretch of his career in his first preseason. And we thought he might actually be ready for rota- a lot of us thought he might be ready for rotation minutes. And then he kind of tailed off towards the end of the preseason is, and he actually wasn't very efficient at all. And, you know, we kind of just began to see the real Rashad Vaughn. Um, but, you know, bear, bear that in mind as we kind of get ready for, for Wednesday's first preseason game. Um, but obviously, you know, after watching him go 0 for 8 in, in Vegas, uh, a 4 for 15 shooting day, uh, I guess isn't the, the worst we'll thing in the take world. take it. We'll take it. We saw the ball. <laughs> Eventually, I even saw the ball go in on video. <laughs> and that is where we will wrap up for today. Uh, we weren't quite expecting it, but, you know, I can't imagine it's all that much of a surprise. We managed to somehow talk for over an hour on the Bucks green and cream slash black and white scrimmage. And we'll have all of that for you, the rest of it for you tomorrow. Uh, we talk a little bit about uh, the bigs. Obviously, Christian Wood and Thon Maker both had very good days. We'll talk a little bit about that. We'll talk about what to do with that last roster spot. We'll talk about Tyler Zeller. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about Ersan Ilyasova. And then we'll kind of try to recap the the entire game or scrimmage or whatever you want to call it. So we will do all of that on tomorrow's episode. So we have that. Then preseason basketball starts on Wednesday night. We will have that for you as well. So we're about to get right into the middle of the season. We'll just keep it rolling and should be a good time. So for Frank Men, I'm Eric Name. This has been Lockdown Bucks. We will talk to you tomorrow.